The views and opinions expressed on this show do not necessarily express those held by this station or its advertisers and are strictly the opinions held by those contributing to the show. Welcome to the Eric Little High School Football Podcast, your home for news, discussion, and opinions about high school football in the Mid-Ohio Valley. And now, here's your host, Eric Little. Hello and welcome inside the Eric Little High School Football Podcast. Once again, I am the namesake. Thank you for joining us this week. It's playoff time in West Virginia. We've got a lot of coverage from that. We've got sound from several area head coaches, including some notables and quotables from the SSAC meetings on Sunday. I'll also handicap the Class A and the Class AAA fields. We'll answer last week's poll question and have a fun theoretical poll question coming at you for this week. Of course, this is a podcast about high school football in the Mid-Ohio Valley as we get right back to it. Of course, if you're listening this week, you probably already know what this is. But in case you haven't, in case you're new to the pod, welcome. Glad to have you. Always glad to have new subscribers and new followers. And you're welcome to join and follow and listen to past episodes and contribute to the conversation. Let's take a look back at last week's action before we get into all that stuff we mentioned earlier. Parkersburg South rolled over PHS with a 49-14 win at Erickson All Sports Facility on Friday. South created seven takeaways. Second straight game for PHS, turning the ball over seven times. PHS is really struggling to find answers on offense without Braden Mason. Sam Potts is a good receiver, but when you can pay a lot of attention to him from an offensive secondary standpoint. You don't have that secondary threat, then that really makes things tough for quarterback Bryson Singer. He also struggled with a Parkersburg South pass rush, which made him hurry and throw a lot of things faster than he probably wanted to throw. PHS is trying to develop Matt Curry, who was a tight end much of the year, into a threat and splitting him out, but that really didn't come into fruition to great length, though he did catch five balls and a touchdown pass late in the game. But either way, PHS had better find some answers fast if they want to give Musselman a game on Friday. Seven turnovers in two games. Seven turnovers over two games probably won't get it, much less seven turnovers in each of two games for Parkersburg High. Meanwhile, take a look at Parkersburg South. Brandon Penn is without equal in this area and maybe even the state. And I think early in the year, people were looking at him on a lot of quarterback watch lists. Now, if they're not already keeping him on Kennedy Award watch lists, then they're the ones that are mistaken. Penn threw three touchdown passes to three different receivers. Dylan Day, Jeffrey Tucker, and Landon Francisco. He also ran for a score. His scoop and score fumble recovery touchdown return was South's first defensive touchdown of the season, believe it or not, 10 games in, for a unit that's been pretty good at taking the ball away. And Penn's three interceptions give him seven. He's caught more interceptions as a defender than he's thrown as a quarterback. So pretty good stuff for Brandon Penn. What separates Penn from most of the other elite players in the area and in the state is that he gets it done both ways. And that really isn't so much what separates him from big players in the area. Jeb Boyce, of course, a Parkersburg Catholic, runs, throws, and catches. He also defends pretty well for the Crusaders. Ty Moore is a presence on defense for Williamstown. You see that at a small school level, but to be honest, the Kennedy Award often goes to big school players. A lot of times it goes to players that make their name known on one side of the ball. But with Penn, his stats as a defender are equally impressive almost to those as a quarterback. Penn leads the team in tackles. Seven interceptions, that's a team leading total. If he had his fumbles, his takeaways are the most on the team. He's always there with a big hit and a big play on both sides of the ball. He's South's punter and has done a tremendous job to flip the field in a number of circumstances this season. So for Parkersburg South, Brandon Penn is having about as good a senior season and turned in about as good of a regular season from any senior I can remember in recent years. But they will go as far as he can take them, though he's not the only one. It's not a one-man team. Devin Gaines is a strong running back. They've got good receivers, and the defense is anchored by two of the best pass rushers in the area in Braxton Amos and Jeffrey Tucker. That team will go as far as Brandon Penn is able to take them. Tyler Consolidated knocked out of the playoffs thanks to St. Mary's win over the Silver Knights. A little surprised to see St. Mary's win 
win that game in a shootout. I would be of the thought that if St. Mary's were to win that game, they would need to do it in somewhat of a low-scoring fashion. Instead, that game turned into a bit more of a shootout than I think probably a lot of people had bargained for or a lot of people would have expected. The Blue Devils got rushing touchdowns from four different players and a 43-34 win over the Silver Knights that wasn't decided until late. And how about the emergence of Kyle West out of nowhere for this St. Mary's team? I had not heard his name all season. It's not been spoken to me regarding St. Mary's football all season, but West runs for 63 yards and three touchdowns for the Blue Devils as they defeat Tyler Consolidated. They also got running scores from William Steele, Richard Dornan, and Brennan Boron. All told, St. Mary's racked up 562 total yards of offense, and I think what makes them so dangerous is that they don't have a single threat you can key in on. It's not like with Jaden Smith from several years ago where you knew Jaden was going to get a lot of the carries and he was going to do big things and going to get his. He's in that Mark Rucker, Ty Moore, Jeb Boyce bolt of cloth. But for St. Mary's, they've got four or five different players that can and do run the football and produce for them running the football. So that leads to a few different problems. If you're an opposing defense, who do you cover first? Who do you match up against? Who do you game plan for? I mean, Ben Long ran for 199 yards for St. Mary's. He was not one of the four that got into the end zone. That, to me, is one of the more remarkable aspects of this Blue Devil team. You've got a lot of these other running backs that have had 25, 30 carries in some cases a game, or you know, 20 to 25 even for some, all season long. And at this point, they're battered, they're beaten, they're bruised, they put the numbers up, but they've also had the wear and tear to show for it. And they've also had that toll taken on their legs. If you're St. Mary's and you're pretty much getting the first points from Kyle West in game 10, that's another threat that you have that hasn't been seen a lot. It's not on film a whole lot. And you only got 10 carries in that game against Tyler Consolidated, three of them going to the end zone. Though St. Mary's rode Ben Long a lot, They got 102 yards on just six carries from William Steele. He's a guy that's not been used a whole lot. Richard Dornan, all things considered, and Brandon Boron, all things considered, have not had a lot of touches for the St. Mary's offense compared to some of the bigger backs that have taken wear and tear or some of the more well-known backs that have taken wear and tear. So for St. Mary's, you've got backs that haven't been on film as much as some of these other guys and that have less mileage on them. So they have that advantage over having one horse that gets the ball all game long. But perhaps what's most ironic about St. Mary's win against Tyler Consolidated is they managed to win without really stopping Mark Rucker to any extent. Rucker got his. He ran for 285 yards on just 16 carries. Didn't need a lot of carries given that he returned to kickoff 83 yards for a score in the first quarter. He did get three touchdowns in the second half to help keep Tyler Consolidated in the game. So for St. Mary's, he kind of had to figure that Rucker was good enough of a back to get his yardage, get his stats anyway, and he did. But St. Mary's shut down every other threat that Tyler Consolidated had. They didn't get a whole lot out of Gage Huffman, just 104 yards throwing the ball, 4 of 12. Jaden Helmick had two catches for 61 yards, but did not get into the end zone. So if you're Tyler Consolidated, the majority of your threats were taken away outside of Rucker, and Rucker alone was not enough to beat St. Mary's. It's still a St. Mary's defense, even though Tyler Consolidated scored 34 points against them. It's still a St. Mary's defense that kept half of their opponents in single digits this season, including the four prior to Tyler Consolidated. St. Mary's has won five straight. This is a hot team, and as I'll talk about in just a bit, they got an excellent draw into the postseason. This St. Mary's team, who not a lot of people were looking at midseason, to be quite honest, now they're eight and two. They're a sixth seed. They have a legitimate chance to go pretty deep into this postseason, so we'll have to see what the Blue Doubles can do. Ritchie County is a team that got a two seed after their 40-12 win against Calhoun County. They 
They go in at 9-1, and one, finishing with five straight wins. The biggest news for Ritchie County is they got Gus Morrison back in the win against Calhoun. All three of his catches were touchdown catches. Gus Morrison, all he does, catch touchdowns. 70 yards receiving for Gus Morrison. He is a big hog in that Ritchie County passing game with those three touchdown catches. Ethan Haught had missed him, and that was quite evident. And according to Ritchie County head coach Rick Haught, Garrett Owens has been practicing with him as well. Both of those guys were hurt in their game this year against Webster County, Morrison and Owens. Owens didn't play against Calhoun County on Friday. He practiced that week. This week, Rick Haught says Owens will add in contact. He didn't say that he would play for sure, but it was implied that he would play against South Harrison. I think ideally, if you're hot, depending on the nature of his injury and how he progresses this week. And mind you, it is going to be cold this week, so it's not a week that you really would want to get somebody a lot of contact if they've not had it in a while, I would think at least. But ideally, if you can use Owens some in the first half, and if you build a lead, he's not someone I would rely on late in that game if you're Rick Hot, and maybe see what you can get out of him next week if you can play for him next week. But if you still very much need him to make that happen, then there he is. He's available, should be available. So this is a Richie team that's getting a lot of their key pieces back just in time for the postseason. I want to touch on this story for a school that we don't really talk about a whole lot on here, but kind of in the periphery of the Mid-Ohio Valley, if you would. Roan County picked up a 20-7 win over Sissonville, and what they have done in the last three weeks is nothing short of amazing. They were 2-4 and four a few weeks ago, and I think if you follow football in this area, you know why Roan County has only played nine games. They had an on-field death this season when Alex Miller died during their game with Clay County earlier this year. That's gone down on the schedule as an open date. That was September 13th. So less than two months ago, they had a player, a teammate, die on the field. They came back to win the following week against Braxton County, lost three straight. And at two and four, and having suffered what they have gone through this year, if you're Roan County, they could have folded up and packed it in. That's not what the Raiders did. They went out and they beat Ravenswood on October 25th. That's 14-7 to in a game that Ravenswood really needed to win because at the time they were kind of on the outside looking in, but a win over a double-A team would have done wonders to boost Ravenswood's record. And then in back-to-back weeks in November, the Raiders had a November to remember. They knocked off playoff participant Liberty at home on senior night with a 34-15 to win. On senior night, after losing a senior to an on-field death, you have to know emotions were high, and even higher when they won that game against Liberty, upsetting the Mountaineers that night. And then Roan County went on the road at 4-4, four and four, knowing that they weren't going to be able to make the playoffs, they weren't going to get enough points, even with a win to make the playoffs. The Raiders knocked off Sissonville 20-7, to and that ended Sissonville's chances of going to the playoffs. The Indians were knocked out by Roan County, who played spoiler, but three straight wins against teams that at the time were in contention for the postseason. One team that made the postseason. Another team, they ended their season. How about that finish for the Roan County Raiders and Paul Burdett? And I know that these are football games. These are not things that are going to heal all wounds. And it's not an entirely happy ending because you're going into the holidays and there's a family that's going to go through the holidays for the first time with the loss of a loved one. There are friends and and teammates that are still going to remember. And there's a lot of hurt that's still out there in Spencer and the Roan County community right now. And I urge you 
you in whatever way you feel appropriate, whether that's holding a kind thought or saying a prayer. I urge you to continue to do that for this community. But at the same time, you have to have a smile on your face when you see the way that those young men have battled and the coaching staff has battled throughout the rest of the season. To put three wins of that caliber together, especially the last two, one over a playoff team and one to knock a team out of the playoffs, that's big time stuff. And that's a good way to cap a season for the Roan County Raiders. So as far as I'm concerned, no matter who gets crowned on Wheeling Island come the first weekend of December, at least in AA, Roan County is a champion in my book. Stay connected with us on Facebook. Like our page, the Eric Little High School Football Podcast. While you're there, answer our weekly poll question and feel free to share your comments or questions. Eric will get to those on a future edition of the show. This is normally the part of the show where you get your poll question, but we're going to do things a little differently this week. You came for playoff coverage, so now that we've kind of wrapped things up from the regular season, let's dive right in. But before we do, let's pour one out for Parkersburg Catholic and Tyler Consolidated, two Class A teams that have elite players on their teams that could win, I think, against a number of teams in this playoff field, and Parkersburg Catholic and Tyler Consolidated. Parkersburg Catholic finished at 6-4, and four, and they had perhaps the most frustrating stretch of all. They had to wait. They played their last last game on Halloween night, October 31st, a Thursday night. So they had to wait for more than a week before all the results came in. The points were tallied and tabulated up and come to find out that they did not get into the playoffs. They even had a week of practice after their last regular season game in the event that they did get in. But unfortunately for Lance Benninger's squad, that's not what happened. The Crusaders out at six and four. Tyler consolidated also out at 6-4 and four as the Silver Knights lost to St. Mary's in the regular season finale. That was a win or get-in game. I don't know what more Mark Rucker could have done. He was just shy of 300 yards on the ground, ran for three touchdowns, and returned a kickoff for another score. Let's take a look at these seasons for just a second. Parkersburg Catholic had losses to Ritchie County, South Harrison, Pendleton County, and Williamstown. Not only are those four playoff teams, but you're looking at three of the top five seeds in the postseason, including a Pendleton County team they faced on a neutral field and thought they should have beaten. But South Harrison I think is the frustrating one because that's the 15 seed and they had South Harrison the week after they were shellacked 50-13 to 13 by Ritchie County and don't think for a minute that they weren't still smarting over that loss and by the way that loss and South Harrison's win probably what gets South Harrison in as a 15 seed when you think about it because that's a Catholic team that gives them six wins a very quality win this season so their four losses are all to playoff teams including three of the top five teams in the state Parkersburg Catholic Catholic topped 30 in five of the six games they won, and then every game, including the losses, they scored at least two touchdowns this season. So this is a team that's very stout, and to be honest, I think, I'm not going to say which nine or ten, but I think there are at least nine or ten teams in this field that they could beat if they were made to play them in a game this week. At least nine or ten. And I think the same thing of Tyler Consolidated, to be quite honest, because Tyler Consolidated, they got off to a rough start this year. They they started 0-2. They ended up winning six of the next seven weeks, setting up that showdown with St. Mary's that they needed to win, lost 43-34. The thing that's their bugaboo, the Parkersburg Catholic really can't match, is Tyler Consolidated's defense struggled throughout the year. It got better at times, allowing just 14 points to Wirt and Buffalo and 12 to Magnolia. But Tyler Consolidated only had one game where they limited an opponent to single digits. A lot of the wins they had weren't of the quality that would get them into the playoffs, meaning if those games didn't carry enough wins, Buffalo was probably their best win of the season, a 28-14 win on October 11th. But you could say something very similar about the caliber of teams that Tyler lost to that you could about the teams that Parkersburg Catholic lost to. Look at these teams. Doddridge, Ritchie, Williamstown, and St. Mary's. That's four of the top six in the state in Class A Tyler Consolidated lost to. 
And of those four games, only Ritchie County really blew them out of the water. And that was in the first game of the season. They were within two touchdowns of Doddridge County, and they were tied in the second quarter with Williamstown with points on the board before Williamstown ran away and dominated that game late. And they were in it until the final quarter against St. Mary's with a playoff spot on the line. They topped 70 points twice. Mark Rucker leaves Tyler Consolidated as the all-time rushing leader with more than 4,000 yards. A decorated career for Rucker. A great season for the Silver Knights at 6-4 and four with some quality wins and a lot of offensive firepower to show for it. To be honest, this is a better Tyler Consolidated team than many playoff teams from past seasons, including last year's Silver Knights team that went up and gave Wheeling Central a game for about a quarter and a half. But it just goes to underscore a few things. One, strength of schedule. You can't schedule yourself out of a playoff spot. We're looking at Ohio River probably did that with a very tough schedule themselves. And not to say the Tyler Consolidated scheduled themselves out of a playoff spot, but we've got Richie, Doddridge, St. Mary's. You can't say they scheduled themselves out of a playoff spot because those are teams they played every year anyway. Those are rivalry games. It just so happened to be that they were the odd man out, almost the last person out in musical chairs in a year where the field was so strong and in a year where the LKC in Class A was so strong in this area. But it goes to show you the importance of the week-to-week battle. I mean, these are four losses. You could weather one or two here or there. You could even weather three of them. But if Tyler Consolidated had won any of those four games, Richie, Doddridge, Williamstown, St. Mary's, they're in the playoffs. End of discussion. Seven and three, great season, and they're in probably somewhere between 10 and 14. This goes to show you how important every week is. Tyler Consolidated not in. Parkersburg Catholic not in. And as a football fan, that has to hurt you at least a little bit. Let's look at the teams that are in, though. Of course, as a lot of you know, there are meetings at the SSAC in Parkersburg the Sunday prior to the first round of the playoffs and the Sunday prior to the Super 6. There used to be meetings every Sunday where teams would trade film. Now because of huddle, those teams don't have to trade film anymore. They can swap those through a lot easier means. So the other two meetings were done away with, although the media really liked having I, I benefited from having them there. I think it was great to get to talk to all those coaches. You got a lot of good stuff out of that. The notables and quotables. First, let's take a look at Parkersburg South Head Coach Nathan Tanner's thoughts on South Charleston. South Charleston, they have a lot of really good looking athletes. You know, I just talked to Coach Mays a little bit ago. I, I know they're young as well. They present some obstacles on all three phases of the game. So, you know, we're going to have to play extremely well to come out and win. That's Parkersburg South head coach Nathan Tanner, who for my money is the chillest dude in the room every time you talk to him in this kind of a setting. He's always so laid back in these post-game interviews. I get a lot of Matthew McConaughey, honestly. He's like, ah, all right, all right, all right. You know, well, we're just going to come out and win football games. And hey, every week we're 0-0. I tell the boys that every week. Now this week he did talk about South Charleston. They've got a tremendous athlete in Romeo Dunham, a guy that I'm sure by now he knows. And, and this is always the toughest part about asking these guys stuff at the SSAC meetings is that they're getting this matchup and they're getting all this information on Sunday morning. They probably have not had time to scout anybody or to look into anybody unless they have clinched and have fairly easy games down the stretch, which Parkersburg South did not. But a lot of respect from Tanner to the South Charleston skill players. But he was pretty much one-upped, in my opinion, by South Charleston head coach Donnie Mays, who had effusive praise for both Brandon Penn and Braxton Amos. Parkersburg South is a great football team. They've got a little guy that plays quarterback. I mean, I call him like the, the West Virginia high school version of Kyler Murray, you know, he's, he's all over the place. He's a fantastic athlete. He's a fantastic quarterback, too. You know, you, you hate terming people like that, you know, kids like that, but he's a great player. And uh, then you flip it over to the defensive side of the ball, and they do such a good job of making sure that that nose tackles one-on-one. You know, he's a number one in the country and going to Wisconsin. I mean, we've done our homework on him. He's really good. And we faced some really great players this year, but I don't know that we faced two kids like that. And, uh, 
they both bring problems to the table for us. So um, we'll, we'll just see how it goes. But, uh, you know, we'll get down in our meetings and see how we can work around those two guys because uh, when the ball touches that kid's hands every play, it's a problem. And when that guy's right in the middle every play, it's a problem. That's South Charleston head coach Donnie Mays talking about both Brandon Penn and Braxton Amos. To be honest, I'm a little surprised the West Virginia version of Kyler Murray, quote, hasn't made its rounds around the state yet, and maybe it has, and maybe this show will be a bit of a part of that, to be quite honest, but that's high praise, and the same goes for his praise of Braxton Amos. Mays knows that he has some work cut out for him, and his team has work cut out this week against Parkersburg South. Taking a look at PHS, their head coach Mike Bias was really, really candid when talking about their struggles against the Patriots and the turnovers that they've committed. I don't know if we even got in the game well enough to make it a tough loss. Uh, we didn't play very well, and that's two weeks in a row, so we're going to have to yeah, we're going to have to go back to the drawing board. And Honestly, we've struggled since uh, Braden Mason went out in a lot of aspects. It's just created toward the end of the year, it's created some um, not just him, but a couple other issues we've had. We've even tried to uh, retool our practice schedule because we have more kids who are now playing both ways. So we're going to talk about that here in about an hour and try to figure out a better way to to get our kids. I mean, I, the buck falls here, and I have to accept all responsibility for how my team goes out and plays, and we haven't played very well. So I've got to search my soul and find a way to get those kids prepared a little better. That was the always candid Mike Bias about the struggles of the Big Reds in the last few weeks. Two weeks in a row of seven turnovers and back-to-back losses to finish the regular season. So PHS comes in at 5-5 five and five on the road at Musselman this week, and as he says, they've got to find some answers and in a hurry. St. Mary's head coach Jody Moat talked about the importance of playing at home and what that means to his team and his community. Being able to host a game, that's important for uh, our community. Um, you know, it's just uh, very important for um, Pleasance County and, and St. Mary's hosting it there and uh, hosting at Bill Hanlon Stadium, so that, that's pretty neat. Kind of speaks for itself at St. Mary's head coach Jody Mote. Moving on, Richie County head coach Rick Hott talked about the draw that he received. Now, a lot of times when coaches are asked about the draw, they give a lot of generic answers and talk in coach speak and shy away from who might be looming down the road on the brackets and instead choose to focus on the game ahead of them. Not Rick Hott when he was asked about a possible matchup with Wheeling Central down the road. It is much better to have them at home. They're the name that everyone's going to look for every year in single A to be there. And uh, some people say, boy, I wish you got in a different side of the bracket things like that, but if they're the best, well, you might as well play the best. So whether it's the second round or it's the final round, we're going to play them, and, and maybe it's better to have them at home. So if we get past South Harrison and, and they get past their first-round game, that, that, that does show up for us in the second round. That's Richie County head coach Rick Hott. Love, love, love that he actually took that question head-on and addressed Wheeling Central. Everyone knows it. Everyone in the community is talking about it. His kids are smart enough to read a bracket. They understand who would come next for Richie County. So rather than to coach speak around it or shy away from it. He took it head on. If we're going to play the best, let's get out of the way. Let's do it and let's do it at home. Maybe that'll be better. Wasn't the most confident thing I'd ever heard him say, but at the same time, he did address the issue and I like that. Also like what he had to say about Doddridge County here later on. Some kids just know how to win more than others. And that seems to be what we've got going for us right now. They're a confident group, but they're not a cocky group. They believe that someone's going to make a play and, and, and things are going to go well for them. So I don't know if they realize the significance of nine win season and number two seed or not because I guess for us they're number two but then look who's number one you know the rival's right up the road so two's not good enough when Dodgers is 
number one. And there you have it. That's exactly what Ritchie County is used to motivate themselves this season. If you ever wondered, if you wanted to know what the thought process has been like in the Rebel locker room, I think we learn more from that soundbite of Rick Hoth than maybe anything else he or anyone else has said this season. All the Rebels have had to do to motivate that locker room to fire up those players is say, hey, as good as you think you are, there's a team 20 minutes up the road that thinks they're better and they beat you this year. Oh, by the way, so bring it. Before the Doddridge County game, you could say it was there's a team that's 20 minutes up the road that thinks they're better than you and they're going to get a chance to prove it. Then after that game, it's, hey, they already did prove it, so work to get back there again. Love, love, love the candor out of Rick Hot and the Ritchie County Rebels. And also, Williamstown's Terry Smith had this to say about Ty Moore and the space that he's had to run with provided by his offensive line. Our offensive line has gotten better all through the year, and uh, and he has followed his guys. And, I mean, that's the main thing. Is just, you know, he's been able to read the blocks a little bit better. Mm-hmm. You know, every week he gets better and better. And, uh, he, you know, he deserves it. He works really hard, and he always has worked hard. So, you know, I, I just think that the guys up front are, are doing a better job. That's Ed Orgeron's voice coach, Terry Smith, who was talking about Ty Moore. The offensive line is where it starts and ends for this Williamstown team. And he said Moore is one of the first to let people know about it. More playoff coverage for you. Let's handicap the brackets quickly in Class AAA and Class A, starting with Class AAA. Of course, Martinsburg, the number one seed, and I think that poses a bit of a problem for Parkersburg South in terms of getting to Wheeling Island Stadium. South lost to Wheeling Park, so that knocks South to the four seed. So you would have to see Martinsburg in a state semifinal, which wouldn't be easy going across the mountains to do that. PHS has a tough road ahead of them with the trip to Musselman on Friday, but if the Big Reds can somehow find a way to win that game, then they would like to come back to Parkersburg and play the Patriots again at Ericsson Hall Sports Facility and have a crack of the Patriots once again. That is going to be a big motivating factor for PHS in this field. Looking at who else might have a good draw, you have to like the draw of Wheeling Park. Not that they would have easy teams, but again, they got capital at home in the first week. They have to go on the road most likely to play Spring Valley. They've already played a tough team on grass on the road this year and had a long trip to do it. They played Musselman and lost by two points to Musselman, so they avoid that rematch and they potentially see Spring Valley in the second round, and then they would have to go back to Cabell Midland. That's where things get tough for Wheeling Park. With Cabell Midland, I think George Washington might pose some problems for them in the second round. If Huntington can get by George Washington, that's a physical Huntington team that's going to be a tough out for anybody. Still tough to unseat Martinsburg on the way to Wheeling Island and even on Wheeling Island, but I like Cabell Midland draw, to be quite honest. And if I got to take a dark horse out of class AAA, someone that might be from a lower spot to get up there, I'll take Wheeling Park. They got Alex Dunleavy, a good quarterback. They got good receivers and a running game that does just enough. And they're big up front. So if Wheeling Park is on Wheeling Island at the end of the year, I'll not be surprised with the way that's gone, with how good that team is, with how that team matches up against some of the other teams in the area. I've already said a little bit about both of these brackets and even more so about class A than I have in class AAA. Ritchie County has an unenviable draw with Wheeling Central looming in the second round. You got to get past South Harrison first, so that's tough. He had a rematch game there. Poor Tulsa. Almost no one is thinking Tulsa has a chance in this game. Wheeling Central comes in as the 10 seed to that one. That's a Saturday afternoon kickoff. And then Ritchie County to get to Wheeling Island Stadium. We're going to have Wheeling Central in the second round, potentially St. Mary's in the semis. That could be an interesting road for Rick Hot's team and for St. Mary's. How about their draw? I think they've got a great draw. The Blue Devils have Cameron, and then they would go on the road to face Pendleton County, most likely, a team that Parkersburg Catholics not in the playoffs, thought they should beat. St. Mary's has not been afraid to go on the road in the playoffs and win on long trips before. So this would not be anything new for them. And if they were to emerge from that, then you're likely looking at Ritchie County or Wheeling Central in the semis. So it's a good road to win a game or two, but then after that, things get tough as they do pretty much every year. Dobridge County has a solid draw as number one. East Hardy, and no disrespect to East Hardy or Midland Trail, but this isn't the East Hardy team of a few years ago. Greenbrier West at number four doesn't quite scare me as a four seed. 
not saying it'll be a cakewalk for Doddridge County. They got a good draw. Ritchie has a tougher draw. St. Mary's has a pretty good draw themselves. Williamstown at a number five, you kind of got to like their draw too, because I like Williamstown's ability to maybe go down to Greenbrier West in the second round, which would pit them in a semi against Doddridge County and a rematch on the turf in the semis the weekend of Thanksgiving. So again, there's a lot of good possibilities here, and I think that's what might be Doddridge County's toughest out, is having to beat Williamstown again to get to Wheeling Island Stadium. But it's wide open this year, and, and any team that I've mentioned has a chance to make it all the way and has a chance to win the whole thing. Let's take a look at last week's poll question. We asked you, do you prefer to stay at home to watch or listen to high school games on TV, radio, or the internet as opposed to attending them in person? Why or why not? No, gotta be there. Won 72% of the vote. Yes, why wouldn't you? Meaning, yes, why wouldn't you stay home and watch online or listen online versus no, you have to be at the game. No, got 72% of the vote. 28% went to yes, why wouldn't you be there? So almost three quarters of people said they would prefer to stay home to watch, listen to high school games on TV, radio, or the internet as opposed to attending them in person. 29 of you voted on that. We got one comment. Ron McCurry said would prefer to be there. And I think there's nothing that quite tops that. But then I think you look at the reality. This is what people do. We're in a society right now where people, and I'm saying some, not all, because there are a lot of community-minded individuals that want to get out and support the community. But people want to retreat into the cocoon of our own homes. We don't value that experience of going out in public as much. Look at church attendance. Look at game attendance. A lot of places where people gather in public settings, the attendance is down in many many cases. And there's a lot of things to blame for that. I think life is more stressful now than it has ever been. So I think we need time to unplug and be away from people. And we value that more than we ever used to. The abundance of entertainment is far more than it used to be. There's a large fear of missing out when you don't watch the latest movie or see the latest show that's dropping on Netflix. There's not as much fear of missing out of the big high school football game in your town. So the abundance of entertainment options that are not live high school sports, and this is not just a football sport, specific problem. It's, it's a problem in, in all of high school sports. People just aren't attending the way they used to anymore. It is a fact that there are more games broadcast on TV, radio, and the internet than ever before. Just about every school in the state has radio broadcasts on a regular basis. And now, more than ever, I've seen television broadcasts this year. Every market in the state that I can think of has a broadcast of some sort that's affiliated by a local TV station, WTAP, here in Parkersburg, runs probably about five or six games a year on one of their substations. A lot of the big ones, too. Williamstown St. Mary's, Parkersburg South, PHS, and so on and so forth. Emerging companies like 1455 Media, a company we have partnered with, by the way, so you've heard those promos on our podcast this year, and I want to get that out there just as a disclaimer to be out in front with that one, but that's a company that's emerging that did a full streaming season of high school football this year. I believe WTOV in the Wheeling area, I believe WCHS in the Charleston area all have packages that are either on the air or online that are good quality broadcast of high school football and the way that the internet is in those places or the way that the TV signal is in those places you're probably going to get a good quality broadcast it's stepped up it's not just a bunch of people with handheld camera and stuff we got from the back of the station remote broadcasting equipment has become affordable enough for people to regularly have this and if they can have these items then they're able to broadcast these things like station like WTUV in Wheeling Steubenville that's probably the same remote equipment they use for things like the Wheeling Christmas Parade and things like that and they go out and make money by 
are doing some of this local sports broadcast, that mobile truck isn't making any money for you when it's not working, when it's not doing anything. Justifies the purchase of it if you can turn that into ad revenue and, and use that mobile truck to produce quality live programming that people want to see. High school sports is ripe for the picking, especially football, because people want to see it. But I think the biggest problem with the extra media covering high school sports is that athletic directors look at it on the wrong side of the coin. They look at it in two ways that I think are erroneous in both cases. Number one is they look at their gate receipts and say, all these extra broadcasts are costing me at the gate. In my opinion, yeah, people aren't coming out, but the broadcasts are far from the only thing to blame. There is regular college football on basic cable every Friday night, whether it's ESPN, whether it's FS1. Somebody has at least one game every Friday night, and most of the time it's multiple games. So your average football fan does not have to leave the house to see college football. There are a lot of fans that are football fans that don't particularly have any interest in a given school or in going out in public, parking a car and being around a large crowd of people and spending money to buy food and bundling up and sitting through a game that might be lackluster. So that's where people are coming from on that. I'm not saying I agree with it, but that's where they're coming from. Netflix, Hulu, Disney+, Plus. these are all options on Friday nights that people are doing instead of going to high school football games. You don't need that as the social event that it used to be. But my biggest point is the fact that these games are on TV, radio, and internet. That might detract from the gate a little bit, but that allows so many more people to be a part of your conversation, be a part of the story of why your team is having such a good season, and why more people can celebrate in the success of your team and enjoy that team. It used to be that to be a fan of any these teams, you had to be at the games every week. And while that was nice, it certainly brought more money into the athletic director's coffers. Let's be honest, there are a lot of people that have supported these schools for a long time that simply aren't able to make it out anymore because of their health, because of a number of circumstances. Maybe they're caring for a loved one that's in, in ill health. Or maybe they've moved away. My brother, who lives in Fairmont, listens to every St. Mary's game he can get his hands on and has time to listen to at home. I think my brother has probably listened to more Blue Devil games this season than he's listened to me this season. And he watched watches the games when they're streamed on television. He watches St. Mary's Williamstown, it's on WTAP, and he watches any other St. Mary's games that end up on a broadcast. So certainly there's the argument that more people are becoming part of the conversation. So what athletic directors need to do is they need to capitalize that. Stop blaming the media and use that to help drive revenue. For instance, why doesn't every high school have a website devoted to selling your team's merchandise? And do your best to run off competitors. You're not going to do it entirely, but if you let it be known that merchandise that's bought through this official site benefits your athletic programs and your athletic departments, then that's going to make a lot of people a lot more likely to buy that Parkersburg South sweatshirt from your athletic department than they are to buy it from Walmart or that stadium blanket. We live in an increasingly shop small culture and an increasingly buy local culture. So why not take that to your advantage and why not take into advantage the fact that you can fundraise for this football team by getting money from people that aren't in your traditional pocket. There are a lot of people that would support your team that can't go to the steak dinner every third Saturday of August, but they can buy that sweatshirt, that stadium blanket, that t-shirt, playoff clothing. They would love to buy those things. High schools are so far behind in making that available. You almost have to partner with a local store of some sort to put the playoff gear out there or have it at the game where it's readily available. But other than that, you can't buy that stuff. There are probably a lot of people that live very far away from these high schools that would love to have that playoff sweatshirt. And why shouldn't they? And you might be asking yourself, oh, these are high schools with limited budgets and limited personnel. Who is going to do it? Go to any high school, and I guarantee you there are multiple students in any given period of the day sitting around not doing a whole lot as office assistants or athletic office assistants. And this, to me, would be a tremendous project 
to hand to students. Let students be filling those orders, looking online every day to see what orders have come in. And you pack that sweatshirt and send that sweatshirt out or pack that t-shirt and send it out. Why not put that into the responsibility of those student assistants? For one, it gives them something to do. And to be honest, a lot of them are bored and they want something to do. But you're also teaching them life skills. You're teaching them how to handle money. You're teaching them how to be responsible. You're showing them ownership of something. And that's those are business skills. Those are legitimate entrepreneurial skills. So it's not just slave labor, essentially. You're providing a real skill, a life skill for students. Because who isn't at some point involved in some money handling venture in their adult life, whether it's your own money or whether it's the money from some organization that you're overseeing? And wouldn't you be better off if you had done a little bit of that in high school? Sure, we'd all be better off. But it's not like the labor isn't there. Space could be an issue in some places, but it's not like the athletic department doesn't have space they couldn't repurpose for something like this. You wouldn't have to have a whole lot of items, just some basic, simple items. The items that you can find locally on the backs of any student in the school, put those online. Buy up a handful of your golf fundraising sweatshirts and t-shirts and put those on the website. Buy up a handful of your basketball warm-up long-sleeve t-shirts and put those on your website. But you could still support the team-specific sales and general athletic department sales through merchandising websites. What is this place? What is it that you do here? Merchandising. Merchandising? What's that? Merchandising. So may the Schwartz be with anybody that chooses to monetize that moneymaker. Another thing is if people aren't coming to games, look at how you can improve the game experience. People are going to games. Look on social media. People want to tell you when they're at the Pirates games. People want to tell you when they're at the Mountaineer games. People are going to sporting events, but up the ante and make the experience better for them. Offer better food items. Offer some premium seating. Offer some group seating if you want to enjoy a high school game together. Look to college sports as the model for ideas, and that way you can make that a better experience but also get more money for yourself. Why not have tented areas and suites? And why not have catered areas? That could be done at the high school level, maybe not to the extent of a college level, but make the game experience better. Use the media to help get your program out there because essentially what we're offering by covering these games is free advertising, not just for your program, but for your school in the community. This coverage helps shape many opinions of these schools at large. So use that for the plus that it is and try to use that as the moneymaker that it is rather than as a hindrance. Let's take a look at next week's poll really quickly, and this is a good one, and I've already liked the responses I'm getting here as we tape this. Which of these two Class A non-playoff participants do you think would have been more likely to have won a first-round playoff game this year had they qualified, and why? Which of these two Class A non-playoff participants do you think would have been more likely to have won a first-round playoff game this year had they qualified, and why? Parkersburg Catholic or Tyler Consolidated? They finished just outside the top 16. I've said it already. I think either one of those teams could beat nine, maybe ten or more of the teams in the Class A field, but let me know what you think. Which of those teams would have been more likely to have won a first-round playoff game and why? That's a great question. I think a lot of people are liking it, and it's already had a lot of votes and some good feedback. Can't wait to talk about this on next week's show. Our games of the week this week, Parkersburg South and South Charleston. I think the Patriots are going to have not quite their hands full, but maybe more than they bargained for out of a 4-6 and six South Charleston team that's got a lot of athleticism. I've heard so many things about Romeo Dunham, a very talented skill player at South Charleston, and I'm eager to see him play on Friday. Ritchie County and South Harrison. Will Ritchie County be overlooking South Harrison and looking toward Wheeling Central in the second round? Will South Harrison be upset-minded? I don't know. Lots to see there. And Tug Valley and Williamstown. I think Tug Valley has a lot to prove coming from the southern part of the state. Williamstown looking to get off on a good foot. Both of these teams were off last week, so they've had two weeks to heal up and prepare. I think this should be a crisply played game, and I think Williamstown will have a lot to prove after just their second loss of the season. On Seven Rangers Radio, we have a full slate. Light Rock 93R has St. Mary's and Cameron. WXCR has Ritchie County 
County and South Harrison, and V96.9 has Parkersburg South and South Charleston. All three of those games are Friday games. Our coverage begins on all three stations Friday at 6 with countdown to kickoff. Live pregame on all three stations at 7 and the kick at 7.30 in all three of those games. Rate us and review us. Subscribe to us on iTunes if you haven't already. Listen to us on SoundCloud as well. New episodes come out every Wednesday during the high school football season. Of course, we'll have a wrap-up show once it's all done. Thank you for following. Thank you for subscribing. Your comments, your feedback, your votes. Appreciate the whole thing. My name is Eric Little. This has been a supersized edition of the podcast this week. We'll wrap it up this week and tell you once again to enjoy the games, everybody. This has been the Eric Little High School Football Podcast. Don't forget to like us on Facebook and vote in our weekly poll. Come back next week for another new episode. And thanks for listening.